The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber. I am Diana Marzalek. I am senior reporter with the Homes Report, and I am here with Adam Ritchie. Hello. Hello, Diana. <laughs> Adam is the principal in Adam Ritchie Brand Direction. So you got your own firm in Boston. That's right. For twelve years. Twelve years, good. And you are an expert in something called invention PR. Well, maybe by accident, I kind of backed into it and then said, "What is this thing?" And I started looking around and seeing more examples of this. So uh, I don't know if maybe I'm the first person to coin the term, but this is happening everywhere. And what is it? I mean, are you an inventor? Are you, are you a PR practitioner or a little bit of both? <laughs> I consider myself a publicist. Uh, I'm an account person. Okay. Um, and I, I'm just, I do what it takes, like any account person should on any account at any firm. Uh, and sometimes this is what it takes. And that's how I found my way into it. And what is it? So it, and when we talk about invention in PR, right, is taking something, you know, usually the client hands you something to promote. And it's our job to figure out interesting ways to promote that thing. Um, this is a different approach that says, well, let's pretend that that product or service doesn't exist yet. And can we make a product or service that would be incredibly newsworthy with the newsworthiness just built into it from the start and reverse engineer the whole thing. Right, like flipping the model. Right. So that when the time comes for us to tell the story about it, we have baked in an incredible story because we wrote it. So um, it's kind of been an unfair thing that's happened to PR since the beginning, which is if the product or service succeeds or fails, we get blamed for it <laughs> if it doesn't work. <laughs> it's right? all your fault. Yet we have also had no hand in its creation. So where's the fairness in that? So this is bringing a little bit more of fairness into the equation and say, well, if we're going to live or die by that sword, let's at least forge the sword. But if you're forging the sword, you are promoting a product that is not the product you are being prayed to promote. Is that correct? Sometimes. You know, most of the time the client wants um, earned media and driving of sales and communication of a message. So you can do all those things and make a new product too that accomplishes all that. Okay, so maybe um, you can give us some examples to help us get our head around what, you're, what we're talking about. Sure, okay, so um, there's three types that I've seen so far. Just Three since, types of invention PR or three yeah, types yeah. of products? Okay. Th three different models of what I call invention in PR. Type one is where you create a new category of product that never existed before and it has that newsworthiness built into it. Type two is like type one light, which is you're creating a new line of products. Maybe it's a type of product that has existed, but this line is built around a story that you've written. Okay. And type three is where you take something and transform it into something else. So when you ask, what, well, what if you do if the product already exists and the product's the product? Well, you can transform something that's on brand and, and accomplish that objective. So I'll give you three examples. Yes, please. Okay, so example one, where you're creating a new category of product. Um, there was a campaign that we did that the Holmes Report recognized, uh, which we're very happy about and very appreciative. It's called Trip. And it was the world's first album on a beer can. So we invented the world's first album on a beer can. That was a category that did not yet exist. Um, an outside example of where I've seen this is like Carol Cohn on purpose and my special Aflac duck. 
Yes. Where this was a type of product. She invented a category for a thing. So first robotic social comfort product for children with pediatric cancer. Mm-hmm. First album on a beer can. So we're inventing categories. Type two is where you're creating a type of product that did exist before, but you've got news baked into this line. And I'll give you two examples of this. Um, the first is a campaign we just did called Mix It Up for a chain of organic cafes called Life Alive. Mm-hmm. And they had a menu, and it was fantastic, but there wasn't newsworthiness in those menu items. So we said, let's collaborate with a cohort of influencers from the healthy living, the wellness, the food, the student scenes, and let's bring them together. Let's make sure that they're all from diverse backgrounds, and we're going to ask them each to collaborate with us on a dish that is inspired from what they had growing up. And we're going to name those dishes after their Instagram handles. And we're going to sell them in the cafe. And a portion of proceeds will go to the wellness nonprofit that they get to choose. So we're not inventing a brand new, you know, it's a grain bowl, right? Right. But there's something special about this grain bowl. And there's a story literally baked into it. And that story, though, is also tied directly to the client. Yes. Which is different. Well, let's go to yeah, number yeah. three. And well, we're we'll going to the message. So, so the, the, the one I didn't do in this, in this type two is uh, Hearts on Fire. So right now, that's not a client. It's a friend of mine that's in the PR department. They came up with this idea to create this line of jewelry with a nonprofit called Girls, Inc. And they brought the young women into the design and development and the CAD process and the marketing process of this whole line of jewelry. Um, and now they're selling it and a portion of proceeds goes back to Girls Inc. But the girls actually created this line, and there's certain aspects of this jewelry that it does things, it looks a certain way that none of it has ever looked. So they're not inventing jewelry, but they're baking newsworthiness into a line of jewelry. Now, would this line of jewelry had existed if it weren't part of the invention of PR? I mean, uh, no, because it was created as a part of a campaign. To give you an example, one of the rings they made flips. There's diamonds on one side and rubies on another because one of the young ladies, when she was pitching her idea, had something along those lines. And they said, oh, wouldn't it be interesting if she was flipping between these two things? Like, let's make a flip ring. So this was all part of that process. Um, so then that's type two. Type three is where you're transforming something into something else um, as almost an avatar or a promotional vehicle for the brand and its message. The example I have of this one is uh, one that was just recognized in the uh, Into Saber Awards this year and was shortlisted a bunch of times. We're really happy about it. It's called the Mom Squad. Mm -hmm. This was for a client called Summer Infant. And they said, could you come up with something interesting for Mother's Day? And um, we kicked around this idea of how every parent wants to be this hero to their child. And their brand message was, baby has you, you have us. Mm Mm-hmm. So what could we do around that? And what we came up with for them was the world's first team of all pregnant comic book superheroes. <laughs> I love that. Did you actually make a, make a book, a graphic novel yeah. or a comic book? So we, we found four real-life women from different backgrounds, from all different parts of the country, and we brought out their superhero alter ego, and we paired each of them with a product. So we had Agent Monitor, and she could see and hear everything thanks to her summer infant monitor. We had Professor Potty, who had infinite patience, and she was paired with the training toilet. We had the mother load, who could push anything in her stroller. And then we had Aquamom, who uh, had the bath seat. She calmed the waters at bath. So I don't know if I love these 
characters or hate them as a mother. Like, <laughs> like they're the parents that you don't, you'll yeah. never be. Yeah. Well, well, the idea is, you know, baby has you. You're the super, you're the superhero to the right? baby, and you have us. We're equipping you with this stuff to be this this parent, and looking at every parent as a superhero and bringing out that within them. Those are great examples. What um, I want to return to the album on the beer can. Yeah. What were you? What was the client? What was that about? So it was a rock band called The Lights Out. Your rock band. Yes. So sometimes when you when you're coming up with something new, it's a, a case of dire circumstances. And you're <laughs> backed into a corner, and you have no way out, and you got to invent your way out of that corner. Right. Um, so it was album number four, I think, for the band. And uh, this band has always been kind of my petri dish for weird PR experimentation for the last 12 years. Um, we did. We had an album called Rock Pony that had a centaur woman on the cover. And we built, this was back in 2011, 2012, we built an OkCupid profile called Rock Pony. <laughs> and we fleshed it out the way a centaurist would answer all the questions. So Fun. her favorite foods were oats and water. Her favorite movies were Sea Biscuit and the Ring. At the bottom, we said this is lovingly maintained by the lights out. And the most creative messages the Rock Pony gets, she'll write back to you in character. And the, we'll get tickets to shows and merch, et cetera. Put our web traffic through the roof, and we got into Billboard for this. Oh, good. And that was well, it was a, you know both a, an awareness building objective and an earned media thing. And then years later, someone else tried to do this on Tinder, where they said, "Oh, this is an AI on Tinder, and it's it looks like a real woman or something." And someone said, "Oh, the Lights Out did that years ago." And I was like, "Yes, yes, <laughs> it's got staying thing. power." Yeah, yeah. So, so that's kind of where we're coming from. We don't do anything. We try to do everything different than every band would do it. So we don't. Our, our songs are different. Our stage show is different. We invented a wearable light show that's synchronized with every second of every show. song. Oh, it's pretty cool. It's a, you get like a arena quality show in a club. And our drummer's an industrial designer, so he came up with this idea to build a wearable light show. So when that happened, as the PR person in the band, I said, ooh, that's pretty good. Okay, what can we do for this release? So we were talking to our friends and other music makers, and we found out even musicians aren't really going into music stores for new music anymore. They're going on Spotify, or if they're going into a music store, they're buying vintage vinyl. So we said, what stores are they going into? And it turns out they're going into craft beer stores all the time with the same regularity they used to go into the record store. Really? And they're browsing those shelves the same way you used to browse shelves of albums and say, oh, that cover looks interesting. And we said... That's where this album needs to be, not in a music store. We're going to turn the beer store into a music store by doing this. So now we got to find a brewery, right, Who's it, who can go in with it. this yeah. on this crazy idea. And we found one um, that was founded by scientists from Cornell and MIT. And when we told them every song on this album is a report back from Parallel Reality, they said, oh, you mean like the multiverse? And we said, ooh. <laughs> you found we came to the right brewers. place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it became this really long process of, you know, what does the beer look like? What does it taste like? Is it pan-dimensional fuel for a journey? And the soundtrack to that journey is this album. What does the label look like? Can we just incorporate everything into this? And then how do we release it? So we wrote a script for the band's Twitter account that turned it into an album-dispensing digital fortune cookie. That if you tweeted a hashtag that was printed on the label of the beer, you would get a message back from the band right away telling you what you were doing in a parallel universe right now and giving you a link to the album. So you could have this multi-sensory experience all on your own where you're tasting and listening and making memories. 
So we, we brought the physical back into music discovery. Well, so that's an amazing sort of typifies the 360 PR approach, right? Yeah, yeah. I imagine it was also somewhat of a labor of love. It's your band. It was uh, emphasis on labor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it, love. It was the hardest thing I've ever tried to do in my entire life as a PR person or a musician because you have everything riding on it, right? Uh, the two uh, things you're supposed to be good at. Yeah, it's your job writing and your Writing songs project. and promoting stuff. Yeah. But are other brands, I mean, are, are brands... How far down this road can you go with other brands? How open to this sort of experimentation are they? Um, well, usually they're like, well, well but it's we have the product. And you say, well, we got to do something else. You know, you, you can't marketing and, and PR and earn media is a battlefield and you have to go in with a loaded gun or else you're going to get killed. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so we always start out with saying, well, what can we make or transform that would be interesting? And can we push this as far as it go? And you say, I, I call it basic and better. So basic would be, what does the client want? And better would be, what would we like to see this brand do? Right? What's the unexpected thing? What's the brave thing? Can we approach this? Can we approach a project as if we were writing a concept album? And I want to interrupt for a minute because you said we always start with what we can create what you can yeah, yeah, do. Yeah. So is this an integral part of everything you do? It always starts with a product or a service? It's become that. Yeah. yeah usually it's um, unless you're dealing with a crisis, right? We do right. crisis management as well. And you don't get to pick that. That more right. or you less don't need happens. a comic book for that. <laughs> right. Okay. And there's ways to respond with crises with humor too, as we saw KFC do it very well, right. you know? Right. But yeah. But this, okay. So this is your right. thing. Okay. So question number one is always what's the product or service, right? And we say, well, what can we make that doesn't exist yet, real or virtual? The basic would be, well, what's the angle in what we've got here? And the better is, in one move, how can we transform it into something newsworthy? Basic would be, what media should we target? Better is, how can we experiment with a medium? Basic is, how can we make news? Better is, how can we make history? Can we make this the first something in the world, right? Have you done that? Have you made history? Yeah, twice. First album on a beer can, first uh -huh. team of pregnant comic book superheroes in the last Done. year. <laughs> you just need yeah. one more and then right, you get a trend. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and finally, I say, you know, the basic is, well, what will the client think? And better is, does it make us laugh, cry, or say, wow? It's you get the tears? Do you ever get the, <laughs> you get the crying? The best campaigns inspire you and make you cry and make you laugh a little bit, too. Right. Look at Mom Squad. It was very emotional. Was these moms talking about the challenges of motherhood, mm -hmm. and it really hit you in the heart. Yet it was this ridiculous, amazing visual, like superhero pregnant people. Right. And <laughs> you, you have to bring that, and, that humor to it. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll cry all the time. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, mm -hmm. you know, emotional marketing is like a dartboard, and you're throwing those darts. It's more like cricket. And so there's a massive That's a slow emotions. game. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're saying over here is pride, and over here is joy, over here is um, nostalgia, over here. And, mm -hmm. and you're just throwing those darts, and you're saying, where, which darts are we going to land this time? Um, that's how you do it. Um, and it's also looking at a brief. You know, when a client hands you that brief, it's like they're handing you a page out of a coloring book. And they want to see how you will color it. What you have the power to do every time that happens is to take that crayon, start it on the page, and then run it off onto the table, then run it onto the wall, then go out the door, and then down the stairwell, then down mm -hmm. to street with that, and say, here's where we could go. And it's always worth at least a stab at it. Well, I can, just sitting here, um, I, I can see your sort of enthusiasm and your excitement <laughs> level and, and, and you getting into this. 
are you ever concerned about your product topping what the client is bringing in? Can Great. You out, can you outcreate them? Yeah, that's the idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hopefully that's what you're doing. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's why they're hiring you. Right. Yeah. Now, you must get particular sorts of brands that would be game to do this. Not necessarily. You know, you can find the most boring brand in the world and they have to do something. Because <laughs> they're boring. Yeah, because they have no choice. If they just try and do the same, they're they're sunk. Right. Um, it's the ones that are like a little bit more ambitious that you might have more pushback with, funnily. Oddly enough. Is it more fun to work with the more boring ones? I love taking the boring thing. <laughs> I won't ask you who they are. But. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the first time it happened, it was really early in my career at another agency where I was on a, this great team, and we had a paper client. And you would think paper is about as basic as it gets. The whole Dunder Mifflin thing. Going yeah, on. yeah, yeah, right. And we found a way to make it the coolest account at the agency. How'd you do it? Well, we found out that uh, Neil Young graphic designer had chosen this paper to print a book on for Neil. And this graphic designer happened to have also designed some classic album covers uh, from all the Laurel Canyon artists of the 70s. So we worked with him to reimagine all his iconic album covers on this paper and to tell that story. Well, you're talking about like some of the coolest projects you could do, right? But, <laughs> I mean, you're talking about albums. and you know. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's the key is that you have to find that. So yeah. I guess part of it is finding that unexpected. Yes. And do we as an industry do that, look deep enough to find the unexpected, to find the nuggets that will turn into something great? We put too much emphasis on the finding and not enough on the writing. So when I hear people talk about PR as, you know, we're storytellers, and advertisers say we're storytellers, and digital people say we're storytellers. Right. Not good enough. you got to be an author at this point. Storytelling is just digging for that thing. Authorship is totally different. So when Katie Couric describes journalism as journalism, the biggest job isn't telling someone what happened. It's making them care. Right. PR, when it's at its best, Make something happen that's worth caring about. And how frequently do you think that happens? Not often enough, but when it does, it makes a hell of an impact. Just the other month, Buffalo Wild Wings came up with a campaign called The Jewel Stool. Okay. And they found that more men schedule vasectomies around March Madness than any other time of the year. So they, <laughs> How do they even find... Well, I'm sure they had this idea out. first. So the idea was to create a bar stool that would cool your balls and cool your beer <laughs> at the same time. And it, this was a PR invention. And they That's said, amazing. well, where's the research and what's the timing? And this was, boom, brilliant. Not every Buffalo Wild Wings had to have one. It just had to exist somewhere. They existed in the stores? Yeah, yeah. They had a couple locations that had them. <laughs> You know, it doesn't have to be through the entire chain. That's the thing. That's the cool thing about invention PR. It just has to exist somewhere. And that is talking about really targeted yeah, PR. Yeah. Okay, look at uh, IHOP and the Pan Caesar. So this was, they stole National Pizza Day away from the pizza brands by making a pancake pizza called the Pan Caesar, which you could order through DoorDash. Total PR invention. Right. And it stole a holiday away from a totally other segment, <laughs> which was like pirate level PR and incredible. Um, Halloween, Reese's Candy Converter. Mm -hmm. They invented a machine that would take your junky candy that you didn't want and turn it into Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I remember that one, actually. Okay. Yep. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, Sanctus, a mental health uh, organization, made lifefaker.com. That was a fake online service to create the perfect life that you could display on social media. 
So it had pictures of infinity pools and all those tropes <laughs> that you could load up your feed with to talk about mental health and social media and FOMO and all that impact. No, that's a PR invention that is a service, not a product. Um, the home that runs on Dunkin'. Yes. Dunkin' Donuts made this home that ran on spent coffee grounds. You could rent it on Airbnb. Uh, JetBlue had Get Packing, which was a board game that they sold on Amazon that was about travel. Uh, Fruit of the Loom had the Professionals Collection, which was this line of sweatsuits that looked like formal wear. Oh, I miss you could that buy one. it. KFC had ex- extra crispy sunscreen. You know, the list goes on and on and on about these products or services that were created with earned in mind. There's a little hearkening of, of PR, like old-fashioned PR stunts in there. Yeah. Is it not? Yes, but there are all these things, if you look at them, communicated a brand message. And right. that's what it's getting back to. Well, what are we saying about the brand? And it's also showing the personality of that brand, too, made physical. And when you do this, you say, is this product the ideal physical manifestation of the brand? Is If we could take everything about this brand and bring it into the real world in a three-dimensional, tangible thing, does it embody that? So it's a communications tool, too, as well as, is this a desirable product that someone would actually pay money for? That's the other question. And do these sell? Yeah. I mean, for, for Trip, for example, we sold out of it twice. We sold out of the whole first batch, and they had to brew a whole other batch. So that was twice as big, and we sold out of that, too. That's one of the final filters you ask yourself when you're doing this, is you say, in the end, will somebody actually buy it? Will it earn media just by existing? And also, you know, the thing I haven't talked about yet is, is this worth a chunk of your life? And when we talk about work, and, you know, if, if you're running a practice like me, uh, I do the planning and I do much of the execution. And whenever I look at a project like this, I'm basically signing myself up for a six-month or a one-year tour of duty through this. And I say, do I want to spend my life working on this? Will I get out of bed excited every morning to go keep chipping away at this thing? Will I experience moments of joy when it gets impossible? And it always gets impossible. There are times through each of these projects where you just feel like, this is not going to happen, or deadlines aren't going to get met, or maybe nobody cares, and it has to be worth it. And uh, part of that is understanding this, this theory called the unity of opposites. And it's the idea of two opposing things existing alongside and in harmony with each other within this field of tension. And I'll, I'll simplify it by saying Please. Springsteen at a <laughs> South by Southwest keynote address said, what drives so many musicians is this idea that you hold in your head of I'm the baddest ass in town and I suck all at the same time. And I've heard someone like Lee Clow talk about this when he says, if you're doing something and you can't decide whether it's brilliant or it's the most stupid thing you've ever heard, that's it. And that's true. It's like this is it's the unity of opposites. It's is God, this if you're flipping back and forth between this is so dumb and this is so exciting or like, I can't believe like this, this is idiot, but this to totally work <laughs> right. when you're doing that flip flop. That's when you're on it. That's when, you know. Excellent. All right. Well, I appreciate it. You uh, being with us and sharing your wisdom. Thank you. And your creative mind. Thank you. And, and, and thanks for giving a voice to the indies out there. We always appreciate it. We like hearing it. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. 
brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today.